My name's David. And I'm Russell. And it's probably good to be back. It is always good to be back. <laughs> How are you? I'm alright. I didn't think much of your squelch sound effect at the, <laughs> at the end of the last podcast. It was okay. The yeah. boing was good. You've got to remember these are all free, free sound effects. <laughs> Just downloaded <laughs> off the internet. Can you still buy the sort of banks of BBC sound effects? You, know, you used to be. I, to... Yeah, I used to have a CD, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Well, they used to be able to buy LPs, couldn't you, of mm. BBC sound effects? I don't know. Products of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Yeah. <laughs> and within a minute of starting the recording, we're already talking about the BBC. People will think we're obsessed. We're obsessed with the BBC. Well, we did uh, confess our love for the BBC. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, I just forced you into it, yeah. right? Yeah. I've, I've got a tattoo yeah. on my arm now. <laughs> BBC. Oh, no. So, spring has sprung? Yes, we're into spring. It was quite nice, actually, because when I, when, I, when I came for the recording this evening, there was birds singing in the trees, which was, uh, oh, that's, that's definitely a sign of things to come for the rest of the year. And I've just had to replace two springs in the back of my Czech-built car. Have you? Yes. It's very annoying. It's very expensive. Oh. More expensive than I thought. You know how you get springs with like a flattened end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently all the Japanese cars have that. Nobody else bothers. So you just have a spring with like a sharp end. And right. then they wonder why the ends break off after like a certain amount of use. Because I, I must admit I drove my car for a, co- a couple of weeks with this clunk at the back thinking, oh, it's something loose in the boot. I must get... Get back to that. That, that actually, <laughs> when I was in your car the other week, I heard the clunk and I just assumed it was something in your boot. Oh well. Old news. How can our listeners get in touch with us? They can visit our website at www.oldnews.podbean.com. They can email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com. They can go to our Facebook page just by searching Old News Podcast. They can tweet us at oldnewspod. And we're on YouTube as well, if you can find us. YouTube is, is of course, the home of seeing and rational commentary. Yeah. (laughs) Any commentary at all on ours would be be nice. Would be great. We we noticed we have had a few new people like the Facebook page over the last few weeks. Yes. And some, you know... Welcome. Welcome to you. I think a lot of our listenership up to now has been people we kind of know are friends of friends, and it seems we're, we're starting to build a little bit of an audience outside of that, so... Yeah, please do get in touch. It'd be great to uh, get to know what you think. Old news. I was just going to say the beer is back. The beer is back, and it is, of course, the beer of indeterminate strength. (laughs) I think I know which one this is and from which batch as well. Which one is it? Go on. I believe this is what we called Mook Stout, but I think this was Mook Stout 3.0, which was the last stout we did, and we didn't have quite enough treacle. (laughs) Because, you know, you put treacle in stout. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it is quite nice, actually. Yeah, you, I think you can taste the treacle, but as I say, it wasn't. Um, we didn't have a, enough of it and in it this is, batch. Yeah, it is quite. But it still has a sweetness to it. Although the sweetness can be sign of alcohol content yeah. as well. Yeah, which is can't count it. And for our listeners across the pond, treacle is another word for molasses because I assume it's black treacle. You know, yes, it was black treacle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, is that just molasses? I think it is molasses. Mm. Yeah. Right. Because we tend to think of treacle can some, sometimes also be golden syrup. Yes. Uh, golden syrup has a, a name in the stage that I can't remember. Is that what they call inverted syrup? I have no idea. Yeah, well, you inv- don't you invert the sugar or something? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. I've heard the term inverting sugar. 
I have no idea what it means. Yeah, it's something to do with converting fructose and something. I don't know. So I think that that leads us quite nicely in today's. Does it really from sugar to what we're going to talk about? Not really. Well, they have (laughs) beer there. From beer, yeah, okay. Yeah, they have beer there. They're quite quite good at beer. Most famous beer from that part of the world, I suppose, is probably the original Budweiser. Yeah, Yeah. the proper Budweiser, not the American stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So news. Yeah, so today we're talking about what? The breakup of Czechoslovakia. Yes, which is sort of a little bit of a functional title. We could have called this the far more poetic, The Velvet Divorce, Mm. which is kind of how it's known uh, in those countries and in history, but is perhaps a little bit less descriptive to the average (laughs) browser of podcast apps. So we'd like to talk about this breakup today because we thought it kind of, passed into history very quickly and I think it got drowned out by other things in the end in in that sort of era because it happened on the 1st of January 1993 yeah so the build-up to it was kind of in the the post-communist era up now and then up to like 1991-1992 when all the big decisions were made and then in 1993 stroke of midnight it happened. It sort of happens in the background of the breakup of Yugoslavia, yeah, and the utter sort of disaster that that was. Yeah. Also, the breakup of the Soviet Union. You've got Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania and so on. Yeah, and and th- that's all still sort of happening. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of in the interim interim period in 1991, isn't mm. it? And I think because it happened peaceably in a, in a kind of democratic way. Or perhaps not so democratic. As we'll we find should, out. We should probably talk about that. Yeah, it, it got forgotten about. But I think it, a, a breakup of two countries that that were together, I think, is quite it's quite prescient to talk about it at the moment. And we'll maybe get to that at the end, where we look at more sort of comparisons. So you you looked a little bit at the like the early history of Czechoslovakia and how how did these two countries end up together as a, a country in the first place? Or? Yeah. So at the end of World War One, uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire was pulled apart or fell apart, depending on your point of view. And these two provinces, areas of the empire, were pushed together. Interestingly, it was kind of all agreed in in the Pennsylvania Agreement. Yeah. Interestingly, in 1917, so before the end of the war, before the empire had collapsed. I find this a very strange. I I. I, I did have a quick look. I, I really can't find anything similar like that in a, in that in certainly in that era where expatriate communities have decided to come together to declare independence from a like a colonial power in the homeland, but then come together like this. You'd, you'd think this would be a prime opportunity for nationalists and nationalists in exile to declare independence of their own patch. Yeah, and and of course the the other country that's created at the same time is Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia, isn't it? You know, there's a whole bunch of other Austro-Hungarian provinces that that are pushed together in in one country. Whether it makes sense or not, here's a question I was just thinking about before: Is there any kind of real religious differences between the Czech Republic and Slovakia? I don't know. Yeah, I don't don't know either. That's that's something I haven't looked up. It's interesting that. If you look at the the various groups that signed the uh, the declaration in Pennsylvania, uh, it includes an evangelical group and a Catholic group, so it's kind of multifaceted. Mm-hmm. 
Protestants, I suppose, but they call themselves the Evangelical. Whereas the, the, the Yugoslavian Federation was just a mismatch of all kinds of different folk and just push together yeah. yeah so you've got this country that's kind of artificially created and, and survives for quite a while yeah so up until well from 1918 the end of the war until 1938 what surprised me it was a democratic republic i had it in my mind it was probably a you know a sort of uh, like a democratic kingdom something mm. s- you know set up in a similar way to the to the, the yugoslavs or the yugoslavs yeah, yeah. the yugoslavs had a king didn't had they? a king yeah but no an actual democratic republic yeah with a president and it's interesting in that era up to sort of between the wars they were a little bit like weimar germany in a way they're a company uh, a company a country which has no democracy up to that point really and then suddenly democracy is thrust upon them and it takes root very very easily yeah democracy is really sort of embraced by an awful lot of folk and they're a bit of a they're a beacon of democracy, and they're a beacon of economic development in that part of the world as well. Yeah. You know, the- of course, World War Two happens. The Slovaks, under the influence of Nazi Germany, have their own state. The Czech side of things is occupied. We'll not go into that too much. Yeah, sort of. It's occupied in two stages, isn't it? With the Sudetenland first, and then the uh, the, the actual invasion after World War Two. It becomes a, a communist country. A federal style, well, starts off as the Czechoslovak Socialist Republic, but then becomes a proper federal republic uh, with separate Czech Socialist Republic and Slovak Socialist Republics. So you've got this period of the, the communist government. Doesn't it start as kind of a unitary state? Yeah. And then in 1968, you have all the events of the Prague Spring. Yeah. Which is sort of just just to kind of quickly revisit that. There's a there's a brief period of loosening of the communist regime, and they offer what what's the phrase? The slogan: socialism with a human face. Who's the chap who led that? The Prague Spring. Dubček. Dubček. But he gets ousted. I mean, the, the the Soviet Union invades. Well, is it? It's actually the Warsaw Pact. It's the Warsaw Pact. Yes. Yeah. So it's not just the Soviet Union. It's them and some of the neighbouring countries with their support invades and it leads to this process of what's called normalization which is basically a reimposition of hardline communist government yeah but then we get this federative setup of the two socialist republics old news should we should we go on now to look at a little bit sort of how it happened and yeah, split the, itself. The, that sort of process because you've got this period from nine sort of starting in 1989 and then into sort of the early 90s and you get this increasing sort of call from nationalists on the Slovak side, on the side, Slovak mostly. side, saying that the country is imbalanced. Every all the decisions are made in Prague. Prague doesn't care about us. This all sounds very familiar in some in some ways. Is this the same? Yes. It's the same appeal that kind of nationalist politics makes all Everywhere. the time. Yeah. yeah, it's also some external force that says we can't, we can't do what we we want, want to, do. to do. Yeah, we're not the masters of our, of our own future. One of the things that, that it is unique in this is that it is largely driven by the politicians. Yeah. Uh, one thing I came across, and it's, to be honest, that I just came across this on the Wikipedia page, mm. always your starting point for this kind of thing, but in a poll taken in 1992, the number of people who were wanting to split, there was only 37% of Slovaks and 36% of Czechs wanted right. to split. So minorities on both sides. Yeah quite small minorities as well really yeah here's the thing right but if you ignored that minority i mean you say they're small they're quarter of the populations or a third of the populations 
respectively. Do you think if we'd ignored them, or if they'd been ignored for a long time, that that just that would have gotten? more and more bitter I suppose it possibly could have that's the trajectory nationalism seems to take isn't it yeah that it starts off small and gets bigger and bigger and bitterer and bitterer yeah I think you're probably right it did seem to me reading up on it that it was driven by politicians who seemed to not be able to get off the train We've started this thing rolling. Yeah, and once we can't it was, stop. Yeah, once it was in motion, it was it was sort of going to happen anyway. Yeah. It's really interesting. One of the last things I did as a student was I was involved in a, in a sort of a, Euro, a European wide student event, help helping organise it, and we had quite a lot of uh, students come from both the Czech Republic and Slovakia, and these were all people who I kind of got to know and you know were acquainted with for a short short period and any discussion of this and this is kind of students in their late teens early 20s they still said that oh well we don't understand why it happened we don't we don't know why we don't understand and it seemed like there was a huge amount of regret yeah and it's interesting that these were people who were probably only very small children 9 10 11 years old well, well happened and there was still like a sadness about this as well when you talked yeah. Look, obviously, that's a very narrow section of society. That's the kind of somewhat probably well-to-do, the well-educated, young professional class. I wonder if you were to go onto the street in Bratislava and Prague or the provincial cities, would you find the same attitudes? Yeah. Mm. Curious. So you've got this thing, and because and uniquely they don't hold a referendum. This is, it is all, all led by politicians, and presumably the referendum doesn't ha- happen because it would be totally unclear yeah. as, as to how... You, 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 as, a, as a Democrat living in a country that's had quite a few referendums in the recent past over very different very different things, uh, you think, well, surely they should have had a referendum. Yeah. But in a country like that, that's only made up of two parts, one part of which is significantly larger than the other there's two problems with it what happens if only one of the two states chooses to be independent yeah which let's face it was more likely than not to happen because the independence feeling was much more much much stronger in slovakia but also the other problem is because there was twice as many people almost exactly in the czech side they could absolutely drown out the other side yeah the other vote could have been a lot stronger this is always a problem of, of the way you draw boundaries around people isn't it you know and a, a very similar situation i suppose is northern ireland and the island of ireland mm-hmm. knowing in that if you were to pull the island of ireland what they think well it'd be very clearly in favor of one thing but if you just pull the two things separately then you get a different result on either side yeah. so which is more legitimate the answer is it's always, a, it's always just a political solution, isn't it? One of the things I thought was really interesting, that once the deed was done, the, there's this process which is uh, very well recognised now of successor states. I mean, the best example uh, is the Soviet Union and Russia. So when the Soviet Union breaks up, obviously all the various states that form the USSR break off, but it's actually the Russian Federation that takes the place of the USSR. Yeah. So they get their seat on the, the United Council. Security Council. They, ex- they keep the same seat in the UN in general. Yeah. Uh, all yeah. the treaty agreements. Yeah, the treaty obligations, etc. Yeah, all yeah. fall on Russia. Whereas they agreed to not have a successor state. 
Yeah. And the Czechoslovakia just ceased to exist. And then two new entities were created and then joined the United Nations as... Two separate entities. Two separate entities. Although they did both agree to take on the treaty obligations of... Yeah. Yeah. So neither one of them had to suddenly sign up to all the different treaties, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting how in people's minds, I think a lot a lot of people see the Czech Republic as the... Yeah, I think the that's probably states. just because of the word Czech, that and the flag. And they agreed not to use the flag. Yeah. Originally. Would you rather cheeky? This <laughs> isn't it. It's a, oh, we're going to write all this down and say, we're not going to do this. Because uh, they agreed not to use any of the, the flags or symbolism or anything of the old state. And the Czech Republic went, nah. Yeah, well, we're keeping this one. <laughs> so we've, we've kind of delved somewhat there into some of the causes of what drives this. There's another side to it, and there's quite a lot of commentary about, well, actually, there's a Czech nationalism in the background. It's not maybe called that at that point, but there's a lot of Czechs saying, well, Slovakia is very economically undeveloped in comparison. You know, they're much more uh, agricultural Agrarian, agrarian economy, yeah, yeah, agrarian, I suppose. And you might, and they say, well, they, we're just hemorrhaging money, uh, and so like people say, oh well, we're just we're cutting off a cutting off a dead limb. Mm-hmm. That sounds awfully familiar as an English person in in the UK. Yeah, did he did he read anything about the hyphen war? Is that the Czecho dash Slovakian? Yeah, thing? yeah. I I didn't read it as named the hyphen war, but I did yeah. come across something about so it. Yes, the Slovaks wanted the hyphen. They wanted that there would be the the, the Czechoslovakia uh, Federative Republic or whatever. There's a whole history of like which way they go, and the Czech media just thinks it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious and provincial and silly, and oh, what do you want to do that for? And of course, all that does is just inflame sentiment in Slovakia because they say, well, we want to be treated as equals. This is meant to be a partnership. Yeah, I'm not. You know, if I was a Slovakian nationalist, I I can see why they wanted the hyphen, even though I think it's like a minor issue. But the moment the Czechs start laughing at you and say that it's not not important, I can well understand why that would just just annoy you. Yeah, like even as a moderate, I think it would just annoy me because it's it's deeply patronising. And then there's this ridiculous thing where they they temporarily want agreed to have two different names for the country depending on the. Uh, the language right you would speak speaking in and then of course there was actually a difference between hyphen and dash and that in Slovakian that's an important distinction right and in Czech it isn't it's the same thing so then there was a debate about well are we using a hyphen or are we using a dash because one is for like joining two things together and the other one is for separating them okay because one is slightly longer than the other. Right. We have this in English, actually. We just don't really we don't know really about no- it. Yeah, we don't yeah. really notice it. So you can, you can see why this, this sort of symbolic stuff becomes really important. Old news. Looking at uh, one of the sources I had on the internet, they were talking about how the politics really changed between the two countries. Mm-hmm. So you got an election in 1992, which was the last elections of the Czechoslovak state, and you end up with two very different sort of political spectrums in, in, in each country. So in the Czech side, you have like a conservative par- uh, parties at one end, uh, and you have like an unreformed communist party. Yeah. So the left is kind of hamstrung because they're still being rep- represented by the kind of 
the hated the old, old guard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas the other end of Slovakia, you've got authoritarian nationalists on one side, and on the other side, you've got kind of a, a reformed democratic sort of left yeah social democratic it was still the old communist party it had, but it had reformed itself to a more i suppose socialist probably more hardline socialist than we're used well, to well i suppose probably quite similar to the uh the way in east germany uh, the socialist unity part party as it was became the uh, party of democratic socialism mm-hmm. you know so it was still quite left but like a much more committed to democracy kind of left you know rather than kind of the old Stalinist old guard yeah yeah so you've got this the sort of difference and of course that then reflects that when when independence does come the early history of Slovakia is murky to say the least yeah yeah and you notice some something weird on on Wikipedia well I, I did yeah, as well, you did as well yeah. this is something I picked up um as we've discussed before, I tend not to do the research side of things. You do that. But today, because I had a bit of a free day, I decided to do some some of the research. And obviously, your starting point's always Wikipedia. And it's not immediately noticeable. But when you start looking outside of Wikipedia, you, you realise that the Wikipedia page about the breakup of Czechoslovakia has quite obviously been written by a Slovakian. It certainly has that slant. Yeah, and everything that happened in Slovakia afterwards was all sweetness and light, uh, but it wasn't. It actually goes through this terrible period, doesn't it, of uh, authoritarian nationalist government, which I think a lot of people were very scared of at the time. I was, yeah. I was reading the New York Times article. I think we might have read the same thing, written sort of on on the day after the breakup. On the day after the breakup, yeah, yeah, and it's sort of been met with that enthusiasm and so on. But I think it was interesting reading that through the lens of people like Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah, that they were they were afraid it could go the same way. Yeah, the the Hungarian minority uh, in in the country were quite worried. Yeah, that's right. In that that the, they had ended up being marginalised and becoming. Uh, but actually what happens it goes through this really sort of terrible dark period and then the progressive take hold reforms have already been enacted and then you know the the progressives get hold of the government but continue with economic reforms and do a reasonable fist of dealing with their kind of ethnic minorities yeah yeah because uh, once you've broken up Czechoslovakia the Czech Republic becomes very ethnically homogenous, with the exception of their Roma community, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got uh, Slovakia, which is smaller, but thereby more ethnically diverse because they have the large the Hungarian, Hungarian population. population. Yeah, yeah. They, but then you've got this problem with the Roma as well. How many that that again? They, see, this is the things that I think the EU were always really good at solving. Because you had a large Roma population in the Czech Republic who were mostly Slovakian-born. And so you ended up with a large population that are stateless. Yeah, which is a really strange situation to be in. Yeah. And uh, when these countries then started to look for EU membership, well, the EU said, there's no way we can accept you with such a large population that is stateless. And so they did the deals, and those Roma became Czech citizens. Here, it's old news. Could Czechoslovakia have been saved, is the title I've got next. The article I was looking at suggested two models, right? And the first one was Belgium. Right. 
<laughs> David, David Paul's face. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very easy just to say Belgium and everybody laughs, right? Because it's the rudest word in the universe. In the universe. Well, it is. Yes, of course. <laughs> but also, like, largely ungovernable, or like famous for being ungovernable. <laughs> Or famous for having ridiculous power structures in order to try to accommodate everybody, and a lot of that centers around like the language politics, and people should be allowed to speak their own language, and blah blah blah. But I guess the Belgium's still here. Yeah, it hasn't absolutely imploded. Uh, there was wasn't that whole embarrassing bit when they went for five hundred days without a government, mm-hmm. and they were the fastest growing country in the EU. <laughs> Uh, economically in that period yes. <laughs> there's, says, there's an advert for rugged individualism if I've ever heard one well, it was an advert for, for having a civil service that just gets on with stuff isn't it yeah <laughs> get rid yeah. of the meddling politicians yeah I think more interestingly is the other model they suggested was Canada I suppose Canada works by being a loose a loose federation federation yeah, yeah. Interesting, you hear these two words, federation and, and confederation. Yeah. And I guess if I was a political scientist, I would instantly know what the difference is. I mean, presumably one is looser than the other. Yeah, probably something we should have looked up. But yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose the Canadian situation more or less works. Mm-hmm. But I think it often only works in that they have kind of unwritten rules, like the leader of the, the main political parties almost always has to be French-speaking. That's not always true of the, the Conservative Party in Canada, but they should at least be able to speak French, mm-hmm. if not be from Quebec, Yeah, uh, which kind of is the deal, isn't it? Because, well, the French leaders could say, well, we have this power of influence at the federal level. And in return, we agree to be part of like a, a very dominantly Anglophone country. The Canadians are doing it on an informal le- level because that's just the way their politics works. But then you, you could, I think, if you were to sit down and write a constitution, you would end up probably having to codify all that stuff. So and so, the prime minister is Czech speaking, the president is Slovakian speaking. Yeah. Which is the kind of thing that Lebanon famously fails to do constantly. <laughs> yeah. It's working at the moment. It is, but only after a huge long impasse of not having a presidential election for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that kind of setup never really works. Yeah. And more closer to home, of course, is Northern Ireland. Yeah. Who have the communitarian thing where all the members of the legislature have to be one thing or the other thing. Or none, but that has like a third status of like not being quite as influential. So yeah, it's kind of weird. So uh, I, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that sort of solution would would have worked. There does seem to be two schools of thought on this, isn't there, as to whether the breakup was inevitable or whether the breakup was not inevitable. I mean, what, what, where do you come down on that side of the debate? I think because of human nature being what it is, I think it probably was inevitable. I think it it didn't have to happen at the time it did because as I mentioned before it does just seem to have been a bunch of politicians got on the train and couldn't stop but as we discussed before there's this whole thing that nationalism seems to grow are all federal structures doomed I don't think all federal structures are doomed the United States being an example I can't really see the United States falling apart no but that's probably to do with the way the constitution was implemented and how the country has grown I suppose that's, that's the state has been like an opt-in process bit by bit I suppose there's a difference between 
what you might call old European states mm. to like new world states. Which so were you, largely you, built on immigrant populations coming in from the outside. Yeah. So you've got like Brazil is a federal state. Mexico is a federal state. Yeah. We, these nice. are things that are often forgotten about, but they're not likely to fall apart because the states themselves don't have a huge amount of national identity. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas in Europe and Asia and Africa, in a different way, but it's a similar sort of thing, you've got these people groupings who were just sort of bashed together, normally through conquest, into borders. So you get Spain is a sort of federal state, and it's constantly on the verge of falling apart. Part, yeah. Despite them having a really quite good constitution and quite good federal arrangement. Yeah, and large amounts of independence for... Yeah. Or autonomy for, for different re- regions, yeah. Essentially, we've all come from ancient tribes. Yeah. I think if we look at our own backyard, though, I think it's interesting to look at how... You know, obviously, England is very dominant in the UK. Uh, well, there's one nation that's totally squashed in the UK. Wales? No, Cornwall. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that Cornwall were definitely seen as a separate nation at one time, had very much saw themselves as a, as a nation of people. But now, now, the idea of Cornish nationalism is like a very niche interest, and the vast majority of Cornish people see themselves as being regionally English. And Wales is similar in a way. They, they're not so far down that road. You know, they, they maintain their own language. But Wales and England seem to have a much more sort of... Well, more integrated. Integrated existence. Re- realistically, it's English and Welsh law. Uh, you know, Wales wasn't yeah. an independent kingdom in the same way Scotland yeah. was. But if you look at the way Scotland has maintained its separate laws all of this time, where is it that nationalism is now taking root more permanently than, say, it has in Wales and it's in Scotland? So yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I think that's a. I don't. I, I think federalism, like I support federalism in the UK, I will out myself as a federalist uh, because I think it would would make sense to have some sort of separate English representation. I might even go for regional representation rather than no English regions rather than just England. That's because I'm from the Northeast. (laughs) But yeah, I I think federations on the whole tend to be political conveniences. The people who find themselves identifying with the federal identity most tend to be the dominant people. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was in Czechoslovakia. The Czechs saw themselves as strongly Czechoslovakian, whereas Slovaks saw themselves as Slovaks co-equals in the Czechoslovak Federation. Yeah. Which just seems like, if, like in some ways, like a lot of people would just hear that sentence and yawn and go, oh. What's the difference? But I think that question of identity is very, very important. You, you would understand it more if you were Scottish or Welsh. Yeah, for sure. I think the English are understanding it more and more, aren't they? As as it becomes more obvious that it could well happen. It could. It could. To us. It could. Could happen to us. Yeah. And I think it's interesting how in the uh, the aftermath. Uh, you've actually in Czech Republic, you've actually, or Czechia, as we should say now. Yes, so it was something we haven't talked about. This rebranding of a nation that I think is ridiculous, personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually quite strange because it's Czechia is only the registered short form. It's still the Czech Republic, right? Yeah, weirdly. So it's kind of both. So I think generally in our communi- in the British communications to 
the government, we would still refer to them as the Czech Republic. It would be only if they insisted that, no, 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 we want to change, then we would change our term. But, yeah, because we need more countries ending in IE. Yeah, yes. <laughs> There's not enough of them. Yeah. Oh, dear. Which is where you get this ridiculous thing, because there's this endless confusion between Slovakia and Slovenia. Apparently, uh, there's a lot of places where Slovakia and Slovenia have embassies in the same cities, and they often get each other's correspondence Yeah. from different governments and organizations and things. And apparently, is it? I think it's on Thursdays. Every Thursday, Slovakia and Slovenia have this informal sort of agreement that the officials get, get together and they swap items of post. And apparently this is in some ways tremendously useful because occasionally you get letters from people you would rather not get letters from and you can just say, we never received it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's a great way of delaying stuff because you know that so-and-so has written a, le- a letter, but you can say, or if you want to embarrass somebody, you can say, well, you sent it to the wrong country, you fool. Yeah. <laughs> I think the the Slovenians who are who are really are a, a smaller, central European country get very very vexed at this. So just to look at kind of what's going on now, you know, you, you've seen that essentially the economies of the two have balanced out slightly. I think Czech Republic's still a bit richer in terms of its sort of average incomes and things, but yeah. uh, the GDP of the two com- countries, I think Slovakia's is now ninety five percent of the Czech Republic's. Yeah, so they're very close. Yeah, presumably that's on a per capita basis. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, one is twice the size of the, the other. But I think it's really interesting to see the big debates about independence movements in Europe, and obviously in the UK, it's all about Scotland at the moment. And, and it was a couple of years ago, and it is going to be again, with like with Brexit looming in the background. Of course, Spain, Catalonia, yeah, as well. That's sort of rearing its head again, isn't it? They they keep talking about having a referendum and. It nearly happened just recently, but didn't. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether those debates have the common sense to look at Czechoslovakia mm. and see what happened. See whether they think if that's the route they want to go down. Old news. Old news. Old news. Old news. So, I say good luck to both countries. Yes, uh, and I think that I think if 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 ever there was a, an argument for kind of open borders and things, and a lot of the the questions that came up when when they split about oh is this road in Slovakia or is this road in Czech Republic and what about this school for this village? You know, there's a load of this on the borders. Yeah, it all got sorted out, but now that the borders are open and you know people can freely travel and so on. Then everybody gets their own country, but they get to live in a normal way at the borders. Yeah. Yeah, rather than having sort of this imposed wire fence. Uh, maybe the future here is wire fences between us and Scotland. Old news. Right, so that was the breakup of Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia. So, I think we need to say thank you to some people. Yes, our usual thank yous in this slot. Firstly, of course, for our fantastic intro and outro music, Royalty Free, from bensound.com under Creative Commons license. And, of course, to the great Peter Kitson for the use of his voice. Well, I think that's it. See you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Coming up next time on Old News. Louisiana and Hurricane Katrina, in which you'll hear David say, Gadzooks! And, but the ducks, the ducks! Ha 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 ha!